on the verge of a breakthrough in the building right now. Somebody's on the verge of your miracle right now. I wish somebody would jump out of your seat and let the devil know I came to get my breakthrough. I came to get my miracle. And he said, Moses, I want you to draw a line around the mountain, lest the people break through and I break forth upon them. He said, if they break through, then I'll break forth. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, if you'll break through, God's about to break forth uh, over your life this morning. Uh, that's why I've got to dance. Uh, that's why I've got to shout. Uh, that's why I've got to run. Uh, I've got to get my breakthrough. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody ought to take uh, about two minutes uh, and break through uh, to your promise. Uh, break through uh, to your miracle. Uh,
glory of the Lord is here. The glory of the Lord is here. The glory of the Lord is in this place. There's chain-breaking power in this place. There's mountain-moving power in this place. About Shataya, Shataya. Whoa! Hallelujah! Turn and tell somebody standing next to you, you can be free in Jesus' name today. I came to tell you, you can be free in Jesus' name this morning. Anybody believe that? Clap your hands one more time and give him a shout of praise today. Hallelujah. Welcome to Friends and Family Day at the Rock Church. Whoa. I want to take a brief opportunity to say a great big welcome this morning to every one of our guests that are in the house of the Lord. Can I borrow your hands and your voice one more time, Rock Church? Come on, help me make some noise. We can do a little bit better than that. Help me make some noise for all of our guests that are here today. You can be seated for just a few moments. If you're here for the very first time, we want to tell you it is our privilege and our honor to have you here at the Rock Church of Fort Myers. And you are a guest of honor today. Amen, somebody. You are a guest of honor here. And uh, God is doing some amazing things in this house. And it means so much to us that you would take time out of a Sunday morning to come and worship the King of Kings in this place with us today. Amen, somebody. Now, we have an important announcement to make to all of our guests that are here today. We have an important policy in this church, and I know it's rude to enforce policies on your first-time guests, but we have a very important policy in this church, and the policy is simply this. You are only a guest for the first five minutes that you're in this church. After that, you're just at home here at the Rock Church. Amen, Rock Church. So I need you to help me turn around. If you've been here longer than five minutes, you're no longer a guest. You're at home. Would you turn around 360 degrees, touch everybody in your reach, and tell them, welcome home this morning. Come on, tell them, tell them, tell them, welcome home. Welcome home, welcome home. Amen. We are so excited to have you in the house of the Lord today. Has God been doing amazing things in this house this week? Amen. Several people this week, uh, this past week, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. We're grateful for revival that just keeps being poured out in this place. And uh, God is doing amazing things. It is a double honor this morning to have with us all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, Pastor Caleb Adams is in the building. Come on, I need you to help me give him a great big Rock Church welcome this morning. Come on, help me out, church. Let's make him welcome today. Amen. We're going to stand to our feet all over this house as we prepare for the entrance of God's word into this place. Just stand with me if you would. I don't remember exactly what year it was. Uh, I think we talked about it a little bit last night. 
at a conference in California many, many years ago. Uh, the Lord allowed me to cross paths with uh, Pastor Caleb Adams. And uh, we became quick friends from that point forward. And over the years, have had the privilege of uh, being in his company and spending time with him in various capacities around the country and different places and working together with him. And this is a tremendous man of God who has been used as a world changer in the kingdom of God. Amen. He and his wife, Sister Adams, pastor a dynamic, apostolic, thriving, world-changing church in the city of Memphis. Amen. God is doing miracles, signs, and wonders there. And uh, we are so privileged that he agreed to be with us this Sunday to take time uh, from being at his home church to be with us here today. And uh, how many of you understand that you're standing here right now wondering how much preaching he can deliver? And he's wondering how much preaching you can take. <laughs> I need you to help me tell your neighbor something. Tell him neighbor. No, no, no. We got to do it different. Tell him neighbor. Tell him preaching is not a spectator sport. How many of you ready to preach with the preacher this morning? Would you put your hands together one more time and give God a praise? As Pastor Adams comes and delivers the word. Come on, Pastor Adams. We're ready for whatever God has for us today. Thank you, Bishop. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, let's put our hands together and give that to Jesus. He's worthy of all of our praise, all of the accolades that we can give him. Hallelujah. Praise God. What a joy it is to be in. Fort Myers, Florida, with the Rock Church. What a tremendous honor it is. We're just going to have a good time together worshiping the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there now. Psalm number 60. Psalm number 60. While you're turning there, I want to just take a moment to express my gratitude for this local church for being who you are, for what you stand for, and for the wonderful contribution that you guys are making to uh, the apostolic Pentecostal movement across the country and around the globe. Uh, I love the I love the feel, I love the vibe that comes out of this church. This is my first time to be in Fort Myers and first time to be here. But the nature of a great church is that it, it has a sphere of influence that is far beyond their local city. And that is the case here. Uh, you guys are doing things. You're spearheading in the new territory. And it's being a blessing not just here locally, but it's being a blessing abroad as well. And I also want to take a moment to express a sincere thank you this congregation for sharing your pastor with other congregations around the country across the world uh, Bishop Williams is, is one of the great voices of our time 
his ministry and his preaching have, have blessed us uh, so abundantly. And I know how it is. The church always would rather that the pastor be home for every service. But sometimes he does need to be gone. Uh, just say it this way. The only thing worse than having a pastor that everybody wants to hear preach is to have a pastor that nobody wants to hear preach. Guys are blessed to have one, and in just a couple of weeks, uh, Pastor and First Lady are coming. Now we are we're having the First Lady come to Memphis and speak to us here in just a couple of weeks. I love and appreciate Sister Barb Williams. Man, what an honor just to be here! Reminds me of, of home. It feels like home. I love looking across this congregation seeing so many nationalities, ethnicities represented. This is a little bit of what heaven will feel like. You know something else I like about this church is this is a place where interracial marriage is fully embraced. Biracial couples, multi-ethnic families have a home here. Man, that's exactly what we stand for back home as well. I tell people sometimes, don't you tell me you want me to be my brother if I can't be your brother-in-law. Well, let's go to the word of the Lord, Psalm number 60. I've got a message that's been burning in my spirit for a couple of weeks. I feel like this word is for more than just one church in one place, but God has dropped this into my spirit. Well, he's done more than drop it in my spirit. It's seared into my spirit. And if the Lord will help me, I'm going to preach on it for a while. I feel this word so strong that if I could preach a hundred times in a row right now, which I won't try that today, I would preach it every time. I believe the Lord is going to speak to us and talk to us from his word. Psalm number 60, number one, O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. Well, that scripture doesn't sound very positive, does it? But I think if we would be honest, we've all had moments when the words of this verse adequately capture the feeling that we have felt in times of distress. He said, Oh, turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of thy truth. Selah. And everyone say Selah. And when you're reading the Psalms and you come across that word Selah, it literally means stop, 
Stop reading and reflect on what was just read. What we have just read are the words penned by King David. These are words of distress. These are words of a desperate man who questions that God is mad at him. He's wondering why he is going through a very broken time. But then we're going to go on in verse number five. And I want you to note that as we delve into this verse, the tone of the psalm changes. The spirit of it changes. He said that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and hear me. God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. And over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Gonna zero in, hone in on that middle sentence. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Put a shoe on it. God bless you. Say amen to the word of the Lord, and you can be seated. King David pen the words of Psalm number 60 in a very difficult time in his life. If you are somewhat familiar with the story of King David, you know that he was surrounded by a group of warriors that are commonly known as the mighty men, the mighty men of David. These men were so skilled in warfare that one scripture said that one of the men was the equivalent of 1,000 men. Another was the equivalent of 100. And so these men were uh, amazing. They were well-renowned for their exploits on the battlefield. They were not people that lost battles. They were fighting for God on God's behalf. But on this particular occasion, the mighty men go out to fight a battle. And this battle they did not win. The enemy whipped them royally. Or as we say in West Tennessee, they gave him a whooping. They got out there on the battlefield and they got their backsides beat. And these men were used to returning home in a victory parade, but on this occasion they have to come back to their leader, King David, and they report that for whatever reason we lost this battle. For whatever reason, God seemed like he was against us and he did not give us victory. 
And when David hears that, David is a man that he didn't lose either. He didn't like to lose. Do we have any sore losers in the building? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, if I play a game, I'm playing the win. If I'm going to play ball, I'm not going to play fun for fun. I'm going to play to win. And David was a man he didn't want to lose. And so when he hears that they have been defeated, it makes him wonder if God has somehow gotten mad. Because this bad thing has just happened. Maybe this is an indicator that the Almighty has turned back. Maybe he's displeased and somehow we have done something to make God mad. And he is in a lament. And so he picks up his, his pen and he is writing the words of this psalm. And he starts it out by expressing how God has turned away from them. Now let me just say this, and this is not my message, but that is bad theology. Nowhere in the scripture does it teach that if you live right, you'll never be defeated. Nowhere does the Bible indicate that living for God exempts you from suffering. Quite to the contrary, if you're going to live for God, you're going to have some persecution and you're going to have some trouble and there's going to be some problems and there's going to be times when it feels like your enemy has gotten the upper hand. And to be in a moment of defeat and start questioning God is not the right response. So here David is, he's writing this psalm. And we plow through the first four verses. And if we were to read every verse slow and reflect on it, We'd feel depressed. We'd need somebody to slip us a Prozac just to keep on reading. Those aren't encouraging words. But then when we get down to verse number five and six, something changes. I want you to take a journey in your mind back to where David was. I don't know where he was sitting when he was writing this psalm, but I can see him as, as his battle-hardened face is a little swollen from the tears that were uncommon for him. And he's got a piece of parchment and he's dipping that old worn feather pen in a bottle of ink and he's scratching out the words of Psalm number 60. He's pouring out the lament of his soul but now he comes down to verse number six. And it's after he had gotten it all out there. I can, in my mind, I can see him lay that quill down. And I see him look up from his desk and stare out the window. And then I see a look of resolve set alone to his face. And there's a clenching of the jaw. There is a glint that comes upon his eye. And the anointing that he has felt many times begins to touch his soul. And David picks that pen back up and he commences to write verse number six. 
And in this verse, there is a different tone than the preceding words. He said, God hath spoken. I've got me a word from God. I might be defeated right now, but I just remembered that before I got defeated, I got a word. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. And then he commences to say, I'll divide Shechem. I'll measure the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim, Judah. Now those six cities and territories that he just mentioned, to the casual reader, that may not mean a whole lot. We just think, you know, those were cities over there somewhere in the Middle East, and David said, you know, they belonged to him. But their significance to those cities is this. When God spoke to Abraham, and he said, lift up your eyes, I'm going to give you this territory. He showed him the land of what's now Israel. And these Six territories represented the scope of the land that God told Abraham that he and his descendants could have. And so when David said, Gilead is mine, I'm going to measure out Sukkoth, what in essence he was saying is God gave me a promise all the way back to my grandpa Abraham. And I might be sitting here right now in a posture of defeat. But I've got a word. And the word said I could have this territory. The enemy might be claiming some of it. But the enemy's claiming territory that God gave to me. In other words, David was saying, I'm going to have everything God said I could have. I just want to tell somebody that's going through it today, sometimes you've got to, in your mouth, speak words of victory and dominion, even though your circumstances don't look like you have any of that. You've got to make a profession of victory, a profession of getting victory, a profession of overcoming, even when it feels like you just had the soup knocked out of you. You've got to be able to say, I'm going to have everything that God said I could have. I'm not settling for one bit less than what God told me I could have. Gotta have that drive, and I believe that drive is in this church. We gotta have everything. We can have revival. God said we can have revival. The church can grow, the people of God can be blessed. God said we can have all of that. So that's one level of victory is for you to say everything that is rightfully mine, everything that the Word of God says I can have, I'm claiming it. And that's what David did. But I want to take you a step further here. Let's look again at verse number 8. He said, Moab is my washpot, 
and over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Now just hold that verse there for a moment. I was reading this here a little while back and I, that middle phrase jumped out to me. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, that does not make one bit of sense to me. I, I get all the spiritual, that doesn't sound spiritual. What in the world does that have to do with us today? That has nothing to do with the price of rice in China, you know? Just why did David said, over Edom will I cast up my shoe? And so I started digging into Edom. Who was Edom? What was Edom? And what I discovered is Edom is the part of the territory over in the Middle East that were descendants from Esau. Edom was a place where people hated God and they hated righteousness. In fact, when you read through the prophets, you find that many times the land of Edom is used metaphorically to describe the strongholds of Satan and the dominion of Satan. And so then Edom becomes a metaphor of all that hates godliness and righteousness. Anytime you read about Edom in the Bible, it's not a positive reference. Edom represents the bastions of Satan. And so when David is saying over Edom, will I cast out my shoe? He has just declared, I'm taking all the territory that belongs to me. But after he claims the territory given to Abraham, he steps up, as it were, to the edge of that territory and he looks into new territory that did not get promised to Abraham. He looks into a region that's been locked up by the devil. He looked into a place called Edom. He looked into a place that other people had dared not to go. And he said, while I'm taking what God said I could have, I'm going to go right up to the edge of this. And by faith, I'm declaring that some of the things that God didn't say I could have, some of the things that the enemy claims, I'm laying claim on that. And I'm taking that too. But look at what the scripture said. It said, over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Now this is a strange verse. Casting the shoe. This is quite strange to me. But I got to looking through the scripture and what we find is that there was a biblical custom that when there was a change of ownership from one entity to another entity, they had this custom of formalizing the transfer of ownership 
by pulling the shoe off and passing the shoe or throwing the shoe. You read about Boaz taking Ruth as his wife. She was supposed to go be with another man and, and they made this deal and they took the shoe off. And so there's this business of taking the shoe. Now how many of you ever, ever went to buy a piece of property or a house? Have you ever went to a closing with an attorney and bought a house? A number of people have. And when you go in to buy a house in America, you go, you set up an appointment with the attorney. The previous owners, they have their attorney and you have yours. And they sign the papers releasing their ownership. And you'll walk into that closing attorney and many times they, they have a stack of papers about that tall. And you'll have to sign your name, it feels like a hundred times. You'll have writer's cramp by the time you're done. And this is the legal process by which property goes from one entity to another in our country. And it is at the moment where you sign your name on that last document, you're handed the keys. What was not yours two minutes ago now becomes yours with that signature. It is the precise moment when ownership is transferred. Well, back in the Bible days, they did it a lot more simple. We think we progressed. They really had it figured out. Back in the Bible days, when you were going to acquire a piece of property, you didn't need a lawyer. You just needed some witnesses and you would walk up to the edge of the property that you were about to acquire and slip your shoe off. And the precise moment when the property you were going to get became yours is you would take your shoe and throw it onto the property that you were about to acquire. And it was the casting of the shoe that formally took what once was someone else's and made it yours. David said, over Edom will I cast my shoe. In essence, he said, I'm walking up to the edge of territory that did not belong to the people of God. But I'm taking my shoe and I'm casting it into an area that's been locked up by the devil and what used to belong to the enemy is about to belong to the people of God. I come to the rock Church of Fort Myers to tell you the enemy has had some strongholds in this city. Some of you have been under some domination of the devil and it is time for you to cast your shoe and say I'm taking over in some areas where the enemy does not want me to take over. Now, this business of casting the shoe it's a, it's, it's, it's a deal. Now, you can be seated. 
me work through this for just a minute. When we talk about stuff in the spirit world, we have to remember the Bible paints pictures of the spirit world in watercolors. They're kind of fuzzy and indistinct. And I am very leery of people who think they got everything figured out in the spirit world. We know it's there, it's real. The Bible lets us know. But there are some people, man, you, to hear them talk, it's like God just speaking to them all the time. I know some people, they always say, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that. Well, I'll just tell you, I've been in ministry for years and I pray and I walk with God and live a good life. The Lord don't speak to me very often. I mean, there's some people that God tells them what color socks to wear. I went get dressed today and I, God didn't tell me nothing about my socks, so I just put red ones on. I had one guy one time, he come to he, he said, Pastor, he said, while you're preaching, he said, I see angels. Wow, you see angels. He said, Yeah, he said, many times when you're preaching, there's this little angel that gets up on, on the light fixture and hangs on to the light fixture and watches you preach. I said, God, let me see that little angel. The only angel I've ever seen is my wife. And, and I want to see one. I believe in them. I just ain't up at that level yet. But that being said, the Bible does say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And powers. Now that principality is talking about a magistrate or a ruling governor over a territory. And it suggests that there are particular devils that fight people in particular areas. It suggests that certain regions have strongholds where the devil has established a beachhead where there is a dominion in the spirit world. And in order for an apostolic church to thrive and prosper in a particular area, those people have got to go in and they got to do like David did. They get right up to the territory that the devil has had locked up and they say, we're casting our shoe into this territory and we're about to take what belong to the devil and there's about to be a transfer in the spirit realm Jesus is about to be Lord over our community Jesus is about to be the dominating spirit over my household now there are in my estimation there are, there's about three areas where a church has got to get aggressive, casting the shoe and taking over. And in fact, if we get any two of these areas but we're missing a third, then we'll never become great. And that is outreach, finances, and worship. In order for a church to really break it through, you gotta have rock and outreach. There's gotta be some financial breakthroughs. And there's got to be free worship. 
And it is my opinion that the devil will pull out no holds to block a church from prospering in all those areas. You know, when you're going up to someone to witness to them or teach them a Bible study, someone that's not saved, maybe on this Friends and Family Day, we might have some people here today that are not saved. But the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that when we're unsaved, that we are under the power of the enemy, under the power of darkness. That word power literally from the Greek means authority. So when you're not baptized in Jesus' name, you're not Holy Ghost filled, you might be a good person, but you're working for somebody else other than God. The enemy has a dominating grip on your life. But when we start witnessing to you and we're talking to you about repenting, being baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the Spirit, the Scripture said it this way. It said that our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. So when we walk up to somebody and start speaking the word of God to the unsaved, in essence, what we're doing is we're taking the gospel shoe and we're stepping up to a soul that has been under the legal jurisdiction, under the authority of darkness. And we're making a declaration in the spirit that this person that has been under the grip of the enemy up until now, there's about to be a transfer of ownership. You used to belong to Satan, but I'm casting my shoe and you're about to belong to Jesus. Let me preach to somebody in the building. You're here and you're in the grip of some demon spirits. Let me preach to somebody right now that you're struggling with sexual immorality and brokenness. But it's a sexual perversion that is beyond just out there living immoral. But there's something driving you to do the things that you're doing. I'm here to preach to you that there's freedom. There's mercy. There's a new beginning in the church. I'm here to preach to you that Jesus breaks that bondage. Let me preach to somebody that's been on crack. Let me preach to somebody that's got other substance abuse. And let me declare that Jesus wants to make a transfer of ownership in your life. I'm here to declare the dominion of the adversary. It's time for it to end. When we take a Sunday school bus and pull up in a new street, we're casting the shoe. When we knock on somebody's door, we're casting a shoe. When we invite someone to church and tell them God can change your life at the Rock Church, we're casting a shoe. We got to get a shoe throwing spirit in this church. We got to understand that what we have right now is not all that we can have. But in order for us to take new territory, we're going to have to go to some new places.
fixing to be some shoes flying before it's all said and done today. Over Edom, I will cast my shoe. The enemy has got souls locked up. You got somebody that been at momentum prayer meeting? We've been getting the word of God crammed inside of us. We're preparing that gospel shoe. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Because I'm fixing to take this shoe and I'm about to put it on a soul that Jesus is about to own. So a church has got to have outreach. We've got to be taking the gospel to new souls, streets, and neighborhoods. But the other area where the enemy fights is in the area of finance. Now let me just qualify what I'm about to say by emphatically telling you what I'm not about to say. I do not believe the scripture teaches the health and wealth gospel. The health and wealth gospel is the idea that if you get saved, you're going to, everybody's going to be a millionaire and you're going to have a Ferrari and a Lamborghini and live in the best neighborhood, have wealth and private airplane. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's garbage. That's false doctrine. And preachers that preach that are preaching false doctrine. Nowhere does the Bible say that when you live for God or if you give a seed offering that you're going to get rich. That's not Bible. The gospel goes to the poor. And this church has always got room for the poor. And we have a lot of the poor in the church. And the poor welcome the lead. And the poor fit right in in this church. We don't preach that kind of gospel. But having said that, the Bible does preach and teach a concept that we call redemption lift. And that's when you come into the church broke. And when you start bringing your life and your finances into alignment with the purpose of God and the mission of God, using stewardship and with faith and hard work, the blessing of the Lord will begin to flow into your life, which will bring financial independence and financial blessing. The Bible said the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he has no sorrow to it. That's what the word of God said. The Bible said there's treasure to be desired in the wise. The Bible said you'll be blessed coming in and blessed going out. You'll be blessed in the house, blessed in the field. Your basket will be blessed. Your kids will be blessed. Your cattle will be blessed. The reason I'm a blessing preacher is because the Bible is a blessing book. And I'm just 
got enough crazy faith to believe that the blessings that are promised in the scripture were wrong to me. I am one of Abraham's kids. I'm living under the covenant of Abraham and the blessing that God gave to my grandpa Abraham extends to me and it extends to you when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. So, what happens in churches is when revival breaks out, it breaks out most of the time in the poor communities. I come up, I come up in poverty. I'm the oldest of eight children. Lived in a little house, three-bedroom house, about a thousand square feet with one bathroom. And there was no, never, ever, ever any extra money. Never had new clothes growing up. I remember the first time that I can remember, it may have happened other times, but the first time I remember getting anything new from the store, my grandma took me and my brother to Family Dollar, and they had tennis shoes for $10 a pair. She got us some $10 tennis shoes. And I remember being proud of those shoes. But I can remember most of the time the clothes I wore didn't fit. Because they were hand-me-downs and donated. Goodwill, if we went shopping, that's where we went. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's just where it was. We had one car, and the car was broke down half the time. There was big chunks of my childhood where we did not have running water in our home. We had to go dip it out of a well and carry it in. We didn't have a water heater. We'd have to take a bath. We'd have to carry water in a big pan and boil it on the stove and, and, and pour it in the bathtub to take the bath. And, and it was always, always a, a lack. It was a mindset of lack. It was a mindset of just scrapping it out and scraping to survive. And, and, and I can remember one time that fortunately we always had some food to eat, but it was, it was not eaten out. There wasn't fancy food. When we went to McDonald's, the splurge back then, the hamburgers were 33 cents a piece. And I can remember as I'm growing up and I'm going into my uh, preteen years, my mama buy a hamburger. Me and my brother was right under me. She cut that 33 cent hamburger in half and I'd eat half and he'd eat half. We couldn't afford no Big Mac. It was just a, it was a hamburger that just had one pickle. And I hope to God that my half had more of the pickle than my brother's because I love them pickles on that hamburger. And, and, and I can remember eating that hamburger and I think, man, what would it be like to have enough money to get a whole cheeseburger? If, you know, when I get up, I, I want to have a whole cheese. Fact, fact, my goal in life back then is I want to get rich enough when I could have two cheeseburgers. Now that I'm older and I'm rich, my goal was to go back to just one cheeseburger. Amen. And, 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 and so, so, so growing up, it was always doing without. The people of God were doing without. And that poverty spirit was in us. It was in our family. I was a poor young man in a poor family. And my parents' parents were poor. And their parents' parents were poor. I'm preaching to somebody right now. And so I started getting in the church. And when I started getting into the scriptures as a young adult, I started seeing scriptures that had to do with 
blessing and scriptures where God would bless us so we could do his will. But then when I got in the ministry, I started realizing that to have a church, it takes a lot of money. Now, this is my first time to Fort Myers, and, and I'm here in this big old building and sanctuary that's filled up. Uh, this whole bottom floor is filled. We got bunches of people up on the balcony this morning. You know what I learned? I learned that it costs a lot of money just to heat and cool a building. The utility bill on a facility like this runs in the thousands of dollars every month. The rent or the mortgage, it's in the thousands. You go to buy property, the property costs millions of dollars. If you got a church bus, you had to buy the bus. You have to pay for insurance. You have to put diesel in the bus. You got to pay for landscaping you got to pay for cleaning everything costs money the church said costs money the screens and the musicians and the, the instruments all this stuff up here it costs a lot of money you had to spend money just to get here you had to spend money in some form everything about it. so it's not all about money but it does all take money and when, when we're in a when we're in a an impoverished mindset we're having revival. Revival's breaking out. But, but one of the areas where there is a spiritual stronghold that's got to be broken, and I feel this while I'm preaching right here in this building, one of those areas is we have got to get people to a point where it gets beyond survival, and we understand that there is a big mission for this church. This church is not about just this church, but there's congregations in Haiti that are, that are, that are depending on the Rock Church of Fort Myers. There are visions for expansion that's going to take some big bucks to bring it to pass. Poverty gets in your mind. And our life vision is if I can just make about 30 bucks an hour. Man, I feel good. If I can just make a buck fifty a year and have me a pickup truck, a house, a wife and two kids, and a four-wheeler in the garage. Survival. Survival's breaking out. But in order to sustain the growth that we're having by casting our shoe in the new homes and territories for the gospel. Somebody's going to have to cast a shoe in the business sector. It's going to take a young man and a young woman that says, I refuse to spend my life working for the other guy. I refuse to spend my hours enriching corporate America. But there's some businesses. There's some things that I can do. And I'm going to learn. And I'm going to move into the business sector of this community. And I'm going to earn. I'm going to take the wealth that is in Egypt. And I'm going to bring it in to the kingdom of God. know what one of the most powerful days in your life is? Is when you realize I don't have to live in poverty. 
I don't have to live on welfare. And I ain't disparaging nobody on welfare. Let me tell you something about this welfare. You, you, you people on welfare got it easy now. Because you got an EBT card. Back when I was a kid, it was food stamps. And when mama sent me in the store to buy grocery with food stamps, it would be big old green food stamps. And when you got up to the register and you pulled them out of your pocket to pay, everybody standing around knew that you were buying groceries on food stamps. You want them poor people. But now you got EBT cards. I didn't have no EBT card when I was a kid. I had the food stamp, bro. It was the real thing. And I can remember just trying to slip it across real quick because, because I didn't want nobody seeing me buying them groceries with food stamps. But there comes a point, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. There comes a point. It's not about me having a Cadillac in the driveway. It's not about an airplane, brother. But it's about me being able to stand on our own feet. It's about me being able to do something to bless the kingdom. I'm willing to come out of this. I'm taking my shoe and I'm casting it. And I'm here to declare some of the blessings that the Bible said I could have I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it and I'm going to be a vessel that God can use to break this through to the next level somebody it's time for you to put a shoe on it You've been thinking about launching a business, but you're afraid. It's time to put a shoe on it. You've been thinking about starting a high side hustle, but your wife is nervous. It's time for you to put a shoe on it. Man, I'm just going to make myself at home. I don't know if you're going to handle it in Fort Myers, but we're fixing to find out. I got to notice the other day I'm hearing a lot of talk in all of our churches about God blessing businessmen. You men need to start businesses, and I preach it, I'm for it. God blesses businessmen. But I got to thinking, man, what about the women? In fact, I'll just so far as say some of you women can build bigger businesses than men can build. When you go through the New Testament, I don't have the time to teach the theology of it, but maybe one day Bishop will let me come back and I'll take you a journey through the Bible about the wealthy woman, women in the New Testament that backed the kingdom of God. There's a narrative there. It starts with Jesus. Who bought Jesus' meals? Who funded Jesus and his disciple? It was a woman named Joanna and, 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 and some other women that were with her. Who got Paul in the city of Corinth? It was Chloe and her household. Who funded Book of Acts revival. It was Lydia, the seller of purple. What about the elect lady over there in 3 John? We go on and on and on. God used women to fund his kingdom. I wish somebody would take a high-heeled shoe right now and just put a shoe on it right now. It's time for a woman of God to say, you know what? I'm breaking out of poverty. I'm breaking out of dependency. I'm not going to let the government be what raises my kids. By the help and grace of God, we're going to do it in Jesus' 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some, somebody got to put a shoe on it. will I cast my shoe I'm here to tell it's time for this church to break out it's time for the blessings of God to flow it's time for us somebody's business to get a breakthrough I'm gonna tell you what it should not be the unsaved people winning at the negotiating table. It shouldn't be that the best deals and the best job go to the unsaved people. But it should be that person who has made covenant with tithes and offerings that says, I'm going to take a percentage of what God blessed me with and I'm going to put it in the kingdom. our hands. Let's worship the Lord. Do we have any apostolics that can dance in your socks? Yeah! It's mine! It's mine! Hallelujah! Over Edom, I cast my shoe. Hallelujah! Hang on. We, 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 I got more to preach, but we're not where we need to go yet. It, 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 tell you where I, I'm, I'm bumping them some right now. It's not a spirit so much. It's, a, it's, a, it's something in our head. We got some people in the building thinking, yeah, that'll work for other people. But not me. Them blessings are for somebody else, but they're not for me. And we cleverly dismiss what is preached right now by saying, I believe it for someone else. The word is right, but it's right for my neighbor. But let me tell you, the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. But I'll tell you what he does respect. He respects principle. And when we take biblical principle and we apply it to finance and business, God respects that principle. And there are breakthroughs and there is elevation that's a result of it. I'm here to preach that there's enough blessing in heaven to go around for everybody.
over Edom. I cast my shoe. I'm here to tell you there's an A and I. Please don't get me wrong. I don't know nothing about nobody's money in this church. Nobody's. Don't know nothing about nobody's money. I'm, I'm not speaking Polish. I got better grammar up here. Just doing Tennessee talk. You Florida people all proper. We don't use double negatives in Florida. But I was saying I don't know nothing about nobody's stuff. But I know great churches, and I'm in a great church. In a great church, you got people that are sold out so much that if they're having to decide between paying their tithes and going on vacation, they're going to pay their tithes. And there's some people that are so sold out if it's deciding between paying tithes versus just taking care of a necessity, they're going to pay their tithes because they see it in the Word of God. And the reason we've got so far is because we've had widows' might that have been given in poverty. Some of you know what it's like to give a dollar bill, and that dollar bill was a sacrifice when you gave it. You have given in your poverty. And let me just say, I applaud you. I applaud the passion and the generosity of this church. The widow's might has brought us to where we are. But I have to preach something, and it's going to be hard pill to swallow. I thank God for the widow's might. Don't quit giving it. But the vision that God has given this bishop and the vision of this church is so big and it's so magnificent. I've just got to break it to you. The widow's might is not going to take us from where we are to where God wants to carry us. God has got to bless somebody in extravagant ways. We've got to have people in this building that can write a $100,000 check with the same ease that you used to write a $100 check. we got people that God's going to bless you to give seven figures into the mission of this church. But in order for you to get there, a little switch has got to get flipped in your mind and you got to say I'm coming up out of my comfort zone I'm coming up out of my poverty survival mentality and I'm putting the shoe on it I'm going to break it through I've got it and if God will help me and if he'll anoint me I can do big things in business God's not blessing you to get another beachfront cottage. God's not blessing you to get a fifth vehicle to put in the driveway. God's blessing you so you can bless the kingdom. You gotta put a shoe on it.
you. See, see what I'm, what we're talking about here is going into territory that has historically been dominated by sin. Church walks up. We're stepping out of our comfort zone. We cast a shoe. I was preaching the other day. Somebody went and printed up some business cards. Said, I got this idea. I'm not going to quit my job, but I'm going to start something on the side. You know what they did when they got on that little website and designed their own little business cards for about 15 bucks? They were casting a shoe. They understood, I've got something more in me than just an hourly wage. But I'm going to take this word that I got preached and we're going to do something with it. I got to, I got to quit. So evangelism, finances, but it was just, just for in closing, let's all stand together. Let's all stand. I, once again, I don't understand the spirit realm very well. I'm, I don't want to be numbered amongst those that say that they do. Bible says that when you start speaking in detail about the world of angels that you are proud, you know nothing. Be leery of people. Got all the spirit realm figured out. They're really just dingbats with a capital D. So we want to speak fuzzy where the Bible is fuzzy. But let me just speak fuzzy for Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power or the authority of the enemy. What is a prince? A prince is a ruler. Princes have legal dominion. They're assigned the territory. The Bible says Satan is the prince. He is the legal entity who is the authority in the air or the atmosphere. Have you ever, I don't know if this happens a lot, but it happens in Memphis. Sometimes we'll be in a season of revival, then we'll come into church one time and, and then it's like we can't feel nothing. Did that ever happen to you? There's times when I go to church to worship, I lift my hands, I can't even get them up, they just go, I can't feel God. It, it's like diving head first, first in a swimming pool, pool filled with Jif peanut butter. <laughs> Try swimming that. Man, that's what it feels like to worship sometimes. I think sometimes that when a church is pushing forward, Bible's breaking out in your family, and all of a sudden confusion starts breaking out in your home. All of a sudden the atmosphere of your home is very far from godly. But there's an authority in the atmosphere. And when we get up and we start challenging that authority and we start making inroads for the kingdom of God, there's a little something there. It's a big something in the atmosphere. <laughs> Prince, the power of the air. 
this is somebody. This somebody meaning business. This person mean business. We come up in the church house. There's one thing we can do the atmosphere is we can send up some worship. Worship is more than about making noise. Worship is the means by which we cast shoes. Or in the case of one sister, cast the cowboy boots. You come up into an atmosphere where the enemy's been fighting. And when you lift up your voice and begin to declare the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ, in essence, you are saying, Satan, you've been the prince. You've been the legal power and the ruling authority for long enough. But I'm standing here at the edge of the territory that you used to dominate. And I'm here to declare there's a new lord in town. There's a new king. Jesus is Lord over my home. Jesus is Lord in this church. I wish you'd throw your head back and scream some hallelujahs right now. Somebody ought to put a shoe on it. Put a shoe on it. Put a shoe on it. Why don't you get out of your seat? Pick up your feet a little bit. Put a shoe on you're not a visitor no more that means I'm a new member here you're a new member this is home church for us now so I want all the home folks to grab somebody by the hand and I'm gonna just teach you how you do it we're talking about putting a shoe on it we're talking about taking territory I want you to pick up your feet right between them pews come on can you just can you bob up and down a little bit Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to worship God. We're going forward. We're taking territory.
over the top of your head and cast a shoe over every mentality, over every attack of your mind, over every bondage that has tried to change. Come on, in the name of Jesus, take dominion, take authority. In the name of Jesus, you shall live and not die. You're the head and you're not the tail. You're above and you're not beneath. You're the lender and you're not the borrower. Somebody put a shoe on it. It's here. Poverty is broken. Lack is broken. Yes. 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 Ikalama shataya la boho shataya. Oh. Come on, I need some Holy Ghost filled men to get around Brother Julian. Take dominion right now. Come on. Devil, he belongs to Jesus. Satan, he belongs to God. Hey! Hey! Go! 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 Put a shoe on it. Devil, this is God's property. Devil, he belongs to you. Devil, he belongs to Jesus. Loose him. Let him go. Come on. Somebody right now. Somebody right now. Somebody right now. Somebody right. Go. 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 Come on, uh, there's a husband in the building. Uh, you ought to run uh, and grab your wife by the hand uh, and take dominion uh, and cast the shoe uh, in the, come on, uh, there's a wife in the building. Uh, you need to run to your husband. Uh, two are better than one. Uh, and when God steps in, uh, a threefold cord. Falling right here, right here. 
the Holy Ghost. Somebody pray in the Holy Ghost. Somebody take dominion in the Holy Ghost. Yes. 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 There it is. There it is. I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this. And I'm stepping into new territory. And I'm stepping into brand new promises. And I'm stepping into brand new miracles. Go. 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 He shut up. is falling all over the building. Come on, the Holy Ghost is falling all over the building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 